Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. Welcome to the new and improved Habs Unfiltered with Less Filter, hosted by Blaine Potvin, Matt Smith, and Treg Toxic Wilson. We provide you, our listeners, informative, honest discussion and entertainment about the Montreal Canadiens, hockey, and sometimes bad life advice. Stick around, we will be right back with a jam-packed and entertaining episode. Are you in the market for quality sticks and equipment you can afford? There is a no-frills, no-nonsense company that wants to provide that to you, No Name Hockey. No Name Hockey is a small Canadian company started by former pro player Jason Goulet. When he retired, he searched for sticks that felt like when he was a pro but could never find the right one or one that was reasonably priced. So he decided to start No Name Hockey. Now No Name offers high-quality, customized sticks at a fair price. They won't try to wow you with a fancy name. They will focus on providing you a pro-stock quality stick that you can afford. The cost of sticks has gone through the roof due to sponsorships and licensing fees. No Name Hockey makes sticks for the no-names and players currently making a name. Welcome back to Habs Unfiltered, our latest episode this week, um, episode 103. We're going to go over some analytics with a member of the analytics community, but first I'm going to introduce my co-host, Treg, the villain Wilson. Hello, everybody. Uh, Matt Smith, the uh, the thirst trap, the face for radio that we have on, on the show is not here this week. He's off working, defending our freedoms with the Air Force. I'm guessing... They found a nice, comfortable chair, and he just sat in it longer than normal. Fell asleep. Fell asleep. Uh, and this week, though, we have a very special guest. People may know him from Twitter as Jay Fresh. It's uh, Jack, a.k.a. Jay Fresh. Welcome to the show. How's it going, fellas? Doing good. Good. <laughs> so it's quarantine uh, Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's pretty much been it. I've been I've been in Halifax for the past seven days, and I'll be inside for seven more. So just so I can protect you from my Toronto germs. That should be standard, even outside a pandemic. No, that's fair enough. I, I honestly, you guys need to do a better job of defending that border. If I could get in so easily, just generally. Well, that's why everyone's wearing these masks. They just sneak around. Yeah. No. Fair enough. You know, I feel like you guys can can smell a Torontonian coming in just by you know i whether it's the the starbucks or the sushi or, or whatever but i i managed to slip through the cracks get through that border and uh 
got seven days to go just staying inside. It's the well, smell I don't think of anyone... smell of <laughs> yeah. dead leaves. Yeah, That's in the spring. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, we welcome Toronto money to Halifax at all times. So there's always that. Well, I, I haven't spent any yet, but, uh, you know, hopefully it'll be an eventful week before Christmas. Exactly. We're almost at the 12 days of Christmas here. It's, it's getting there. So at least you'll be out of quarantine by that time. Yeah. Thank God. So, uh, this week you released a, a little bit of a prediction, mo- a predictive model and, um, you triggered the hell out of Habs fans. So we thought, this is a great idea. Let's bring you, bring him on and see if he can get them really riled up. Yeah, there you go. I've, I've, a Canucks podcast has also invited me on. I like the idea that I'm kind of the, the sacrificial lamb this week, uh, <laughs> just getting revenge for, for what I put out there. I'm not the villain anymore. That's what I like. <laughs> I, I, I know no other way. Well, I, I, I feel like if you're not upsetting somebody on Twitter, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, if you're not upsetting someone on Twitter, you're not tweeting. Exactly. I think that that's just how it goes. I could say I love my mother and someone would correct me on that. Because we all know you really don't. See? <laughs> Even though I have no idea. <laughs> so... Just, just moving on. So, just so people know, Jack did a predictive uh, standings for the uh, shortened. Uh, it's under the fifty-six games, right, Jack? Yeah. So, fifty-six games, and assuming that every uh, team is only playing against teams that are in their division. So, th- the thing is, they keep changing these friggin' divisions. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but like they, like ESPN reported one like a month ago, and I made uh, just by sheer coincidence, I, I made a prediction for that. And then, like, three hours after I put that out, Pierre Lebrun reported a different set of divisions. So I put a prediction out for that. And then, like, two hours after that, Michael Russo said, oh, yeah, they're actually probably going to change it and put Minnesota in the Pacific. So I'm going to have to change for that. So the Canadian division, fortunately, is the only one that's actually staying the same because, you know, it's not like Canada's going to annex any any states or anything. So that's the one that I feel pretty confident about. But everything else seems to be a total uh, – crapshoot now the the latest one i have is from uh two days ago i'm assuming that's your your latest one um and you use war as your roster builder so you're using wins above replacement to uh, predict the standings for the teams is that is that uh just explain how you came out about doing your uh your standings here yeah so, so to just put it as, as simply as possible I'm, I'm basically just taking the depth chart of, of every team uh, based on, on what's available online on, on the website, Cap Friendly, uh, and then using kind of the past three years of wins above replacement results for each of those players, uh, kind of making sure that it lines up with how much ice time they're actually going to be playing, and then uh, adding things like, you know, I, I, I use the, the power play and, and penalty kill results from last year, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, regarding the Habs. And uh, uh, kind of put them all together, and then in this case, had to do all the 56 game and interdivision play adjustments, and and those are the results they come up with. So it's it's based on kind of weighted previous data from the past three years, kind of making an educated guess based on what happened in the past to have some kind of 
estimate of what might happen this year. Now, in this estimate, are you taking into account um, any expanded roles for the players? You know, like some some guys may have been a third liner and are now going to be playing more minutes on a second line, perhaps more power play time. Yep. Yeah. So, so if it's uh, in on at even strength specifically. So if uh, if based on the depth chart, you have a guy who was on the fourth line, uh, but he's projected to be on the second line. Uh, he'll have his numbers will be kind of bumped up. It's all based on rates. It's not based on totals. So it should, theoretically, it should kind of bump up in a fairly even way. Obviously, that's not always the case. But, but uh, yeah, so, so, for example, it would take into account, you know, let's say Nick Suzuki playing more last year or more next year than he did uh, this previous year. How did, now, you, how did you get uh, decide to get started on this predictive model? Uh, I mean, honestly, it kind of just came about anything that I do kind of just comes about organically from just me wanting to look at something for myself and then kind of stumbling into realizing that some people might be interested in it. Uh, in this case, uh, the, I, the roster builder itself is kind of one of the uh, perks that I offer on Patreon, uh, which usually I kind of had used for previous seasons. So it was kind of one of those things where you could put in a team from the past or, you know, make up a, a, an all-time best team from a from a certain season and see how they might do in the standings and all that kind of stuff. And then I kind of realized that I had this kind of predictive uh, data set, and I figured I might as well put it together and see actually what it projects for the standings. Uh, and then, obviously, with everything going on this year, I think people are kind of interested to see how these divisions might actually shake up because we've never seen these teams in these combinations before. So... It all came together like that, and uh, clearly it got some attention. Not all of it positive, but it, uh, it definitely seems to have been worth my time in some sense. So when you uh, – I guess like we mentioned before the show came out, I'm not I'm – not, I don't take analytics as the end-all, be-all for any type of thing. I think they have a, a, a place, and I think they should be good work – almost hand in hand with uh, the eye test because uh, none of them are perfect. Uh, so now when you did your, your, you say the last three years. So now did you take out players in the previous two years that or the previous years that will not say will not be on the team this year. So for instance, uh, like Boston and you have Boston as first in the East with the, uh, well actually tie for Colorado is the two top teams in the, in the, they'll finish in the league. Now, did you put in consideration that Chara and McAvoy will not be there? Uh, you mean Krug? Krug, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Krug and uh, Chara will not be there? Yep, yeah. So the only inputs that are going into it are uh, the current depth charts. So so there's no – it's not kind of an overall team thing. It's, it's basically adding up the different players that will be on the team as kind of are, are put in the current depth charts. So, yeah, so there's no Chara, no Tori Krug. Like it, it, like that projection for the Bruins is with them having no depth on the left side. Like that's just that's how good it, it thinks the Bruins are in kind of different facets of the game. Uh, so, yeah, all totally up to date. No, uh, nobody getting included who shouldn't be. And when it comes to say injuries for like Anderson, who was injured most of last season, played twenty six game, has one goal. Did you put in consideration? And I'm I'm bringing up Anderson because it's a Canadians thing, and everyone 
is thinking Anderson's going to get back to a 20 goal score. I don't know about this season just because of the length, but uh, did you put in consideration that he's probably going to do a lot better than four points? Yeah. And that's kind of one of the benefits of using the three year stuff instead of just going by one year, because you're right. Like if, if it was just kind of really, really emphasizing last year, there'd be some really weird results with guys like, not only him, but also, you know, your Taylor Halls and Johnny Gaudreau's and guys who just kind of had really bad or really unlucky seasons last year. Uh, in the case of Anderson specifically, it's actually, it actually, I think probably using the three year gives a more accurate uh, sense than kind of what only using two years would, because the, the thing about Anderson and, and I've, I've kind of written about him at the time of the trade is that the season that he had last year was like, obviously like outlier, horrific, super unlucky he like his team just didn't get their bucks in the net when he was on the ice uh but at the same time his season the year before was like also like outlier out of this world like he had like one of the highest wins above replacement values in the entire league which you know i don't think even the most optimistic Habs fan thinks that josh anderson is going to be a top 10 player next year so you're kind surprised. of out. well i guess well i guess we'll find out but uh it, it kind of evens out to put him, I think, at what a fair projection would be, which is kind of a, a solid kind of top six winger. So, you know, I, I think Anderson is a guy who kind of because he's varied so wildly over the course of the past couple of years actually ends up coming out fairly uh, in, in a way that passes the smell test. Yeah, no, <clears throat> you'd be surprised at how Habs, some Habs fans have him as the, the next greatest thing since sliced bread. So, um, it's nice to hear that there's uh, there's some some work to kind of even it out and make it look realistic. Um, now, when you put your model together, without giving away anything uh, uh, secretive, how you did it, you know your 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 personal recipe. What, what are the what's some of the main uh, data points that you would have used? Yeah, so especially in terms of the players, it's all totally based on, on their wins above replacement, which is just to put it kind of as, as simply as possible. It's a, it's a stat that tries to translate how a player impacted his team uh, into kind of a s estimate of how many wins he provided them individually, uh, which, which essentially offensively means kind of how much he uh, impacted his team's goal scoring when he was on the ice uh, and then on defense, it's, it's how much he kind of li impacted his team limiting their opponent's scoring chances when he was on the ice. Uh, and, and that's kind of as simple as it can be put. There's also some other stuff in there, like drawing penalties or, or taking penalties. Uh, I guess in the case of the Habs, drawing penalties might actually have been a demerit based on how bad their power play was last year. But uh, yeah, so, the, so those are kind of the main factors going into it. So in, in the case of the Habs, there are some players who – do really well by that metric uh you know obviously like i i have argued that the uh, uh deno tatar gallagher line was the best first line in the nhl last year uh so so they obviously look great gallagher is, is has always been a guy whose analytics have been spectacular uh and then there's other players who do a lot less well because their team didn't really score when they're on the ice and, and they have very poor defensive numbers and, and jonathan duran would be an example of one of those guys as much of it as it pains me to say it considering uh not only that I, i'm 
a huge Mooseheads fan and loved watching him play in Halifax, but also ran into him a couple of times because we graduated high school the same year and he seemed like a perfectly nice fella, but uh, the analytics aren't quite as kind to him. So it all kind of, it, you know, you kind of looking it over, generally it kind of passes the smell test of what you might expect in terms of evaluating a player, but, but we can also get into uh, specific cases if uh, that's something you want to talk about. Now, did you pick war because you felt it was the fairest way to judge uh, how you were going to build these standings, or was it just? I think I'll just use war and see how it goes. Like, get, you understand? What, like, I find a lot of land analytic guys will pick a stat, and uh, it doesn't sound like you did this here, but a lot of people pick a stat because they want to say, uh, "Oh, let me pick what team can I pick on Toronto." Uh, Toronto guy, Toronto fans who are in analytics will pick a stat because it purposely makes Toronto look better than every other team. So though, what I right. like to call cherry pick stats. So let's say, right. well, I'm going to use Austin Matthews at even strength because Austin Matthews was the best even strength player over the past three years. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of saying, well, let's look at, you know, personally, I'm one of those why pick even strength five on five. Why don't you just take the whole total because you're going to play the power play. You're going to do everything and then do your thing. Is this why wins above replacement was your uh, measuring stick or was it just you thought, hey, let's try wins – you use, or did you use others and say, hey, let's try win, wins with well, replacement looks the most realistic? Something like, yeah, know. for sure. So my, well, first off, I'll say right off the bat that in terms of cherry picking to make my own team look good, uh, I, I think that uh, Pittsburgh's place in, the, in my projected standings will tell the whole story about that. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's write that one off right away. Yeah, I wasn't uh, saying you did that. I'm just saying there are yeah. other people that do that. So yeah, no, for sure. I, I had I had plenty of Penguins fans after me too. So I I, <laughs> I spread the hate around pretty evenly. But uh, no, I mean in terms of, of using it predictively, I mean the the fact of the matter is that that you know when when you're talking about hockey analytics and and honestly when you're talking about analysis based on the eye test, I mean people don't get predictions right very often. It's kind of one of those things where where I, what I'm trying to use is something that might give a pretty solid educated guess. But I think something that a lot of Habs fans and Canucks fans and, you know, 29 other teams' fan bases didn't quite get is that I think when people kind of see a firm projection in terms of point totals and they see that there's a model behind it, they're kind of assuming that, you, that the person creating the thing believes that they are 100% right. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, I, you know, in this case, I, I think that, you know, wins above replacement uh, is, is a stat that has been fairly predictive in the past in terms of uh, being able to kind of figure out how a team, assuming that there's no injuries and nothing goes horribly wrong, uh, is going to do. Uh, at the same time, I mean, any stat that you use to predict future standings, just like any kind of eye test or intuition or narrative or whatever else you want to do is always going to be, you know, super, super flawed. It really is just a matter of kind of using what we have in the past to make an educated guess. And in this case, I mean, you know, you can look at the standings and there are certain teams that you could kind of point to and say, oh, that seems a little high or I think those guys are going to do better. But I think generally speaking, you know, if, if you look at it, you know, I didn't kind of mess with the results or anything. And, uh, and, and everybody generally looks kind of in the vague range that you might expect them to be. Uh, I think it passes the smell test in that sense. So I'm sure some analytics people are going to put out their own 
predictive models and you know they might be kinder to the Habs because they might emphasize you know things like Corsi or expected goals that the Habs are kind of better at because what I use was kind of emphasizing actual goals uh the Habs obviously looked a little bit worse but uh you know it, it really is kind of a, a conversation as opposed to you know me passing down the 10 commandments from on high and saying this is where the Montreal Canadiens are going to finish next season lock it in don't watch the games it's all settled but that, that's how analytics works isn't it it's 10 commandments upon high and these are analytics you can't argue with math Jack you can't argue with math yeah, it's it's kind of tricky because in 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 a lot of cases, I, I think a big disconnect comes from the fact that kind of people will present their analytics very confidently, or they'll say, you know, in my case, you'll kind of put out a tweet that says, "So and so player is so and so," because you kind of have two hundred and eighty characters to do it, and I think that the the kind of declarative statement there that's just kind of necessary because you don't want to have to qualify absolutely every opinion you have with you know according to the data which may be flawed in this way and maybe has this kind of uncertainty baked into it you know I, I think that it's kind of similar to how people make statements based on the eye test or based on their own intuition which is you know if you have an opinion and you're confident in that opinion you're not going to qualify it 10 different times before it's out of your mouth uh, and I think that that applies to the analytics and the eye test as well I just think that there's maybe a little bit less humility implied with presenting data than there is presenting what you saw with your eyes. Yeah, it, it seems that part of the problem with the analytics and people, how they perceive them, um, it's a lot of the data is taken at face value, like you mentioned, and they'll see a graph and they'll say, oh, player X sucks based on this graph. And then there's no, there's no deeper thought. There's no, well, why, why was that chosen? How does that apply to others? Where is that player on the in the grand scheme of things? Um, same with co- uh, with uh, with teams, you know. And no one thinks, hey, what about the impact of coaching or uh, w- with a new coach, for instance, or uh, new teammates, or uh, realizing the stats are just raw data, and as you as you mentioned, uh, are applied in a way that can never really be complete. So that's where that eye test comes in that Treg was talking about. And, and the two together will help make a more complete view. But like you mentioned, I agree 100%. When I saw your model and I saw everyone just freaking out, my team isn't that bad or my team is so good based on it, it's just a conversation starter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and people, you know, I'm sure the hockey news will have their own proje- prediction and. Sportsnet will have their own prediction. And the thing is, like, especially if you kind of read back on previous predictions, I mean, people get stuff wrong. People get stuff really, really, really wrong. And, uh, you know, this is just kind of, this is a, a different entry, you know. Uh, and might have his own prediction based on, you know, what, what his opinion is of moves that have been made. You know, this is just kind of a different take on that idea. Uh, and, and, you know, like you said, I, I am a believer that, that, you know, things like the eye test and especially kind of isolated scouting, because I think that there's kind of different levels of eye tests that you can talk about where, especially if you're talking about a certain player, I mean, a a lot of the time what's kind of described as an eye test is kind of more narrative or reputation based. Like, like, for example, if I kind of said, you know, with my eye test, I believe that, you know, Nick Suzuki is this, I mean, you know, 
I'm a Penguins fan. I've seen Nick Suzuki play like five or six times in my life. I, I wouldn't be able to make anything remotely close to a like definitive scouting report of a player who doesn't play for my team who I haven't specifically sat down and watched. And most likely what I would kind of describe as my eye test is actually pretty heavily influenced by what I've heard other people say about him or what I've heard, you know, TV analysts say about him or, or even just kind of vague half-remembered impressions of watching him, you know, nine months ago or 10 months ago. So I think, I think kind of the trick is to recognize where, especially when you're talking about a player who doesn't play for the team that you cheer for and watch every game of, that, that you know, I think there just kind of has to be humility across the board when you're talking about evaluating players because, you know, like you said, there's so many other factors that go into it and those kind of work both ways. They can confuse the analytics, but but they can also confuse the eye test and, and I think they can throw you off both ways if you're a little too confident in what you're putting out. I think you hit the nail on the head there for the average hockey fan who bases their opinions on players <clears throat> based on mostly what they hear on Hockey Night in Canada or what they read in an article by, I don't know, fanboy bloggers, or uh, which is what Blaine and I have been called. Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and you're right. I, I, I think people, in order to get a good evaluation of a player, I mean, you can sit there. I mean, it's, it's easy for guys like Crosby, McDavid, stuff like that. It's kind of easy to say, hey, these, McKinnon is another one. Uh, Matthews, I'll even throw his name in there. These guys are, gonna, are some of the best players in the game. You don't have to watch every game to know that. You right. can just tell by watching one or two games that, wow, this guy is that much ahead of everybody else. Um, uh, but when it comes to a guy like uh, – a, a recent acquisition for the Canadians this season is Joel Edmondson, who's getting a lot of – flack from the analytical community because let's admit just be honest his analytics suck right uh however i'm a believer and you would know more than i would that analytics doesn't really favor a defensive type defenseman depending on the analytics that you use well uh, we, we, I, we can we can get into edmondson if you want to talk about him in more detail i i think that i might have a, a little disagreement with you on on that point but i, I didn't mean to cut you off no, no, that's fine. I, I'm oh, just, that's great. I'm just, I'm just Cut basing. him off. He doesn't deserve to talk. <laughs> Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> I'm just basing on what I've read other analytical guys on Twitter say about Edmondson. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Edmondson's this great defenseman that's going to change Montreal's – I think he struggles. Like, trust me, I do. Uh, however, I don't uh, – what I would like to know – and actually, let's get into this discussion. What I'd like to know is do people – analytics guys taking into consideration – the type of defensive uh, they're playing. Like the last two years, Edison played in a zone defense with St. Louis uh, and their defense was successful. I'm not saying Edmondson was the reason. And then he played in man-to-man with Carolina and Edmondson was terrible in a man-to-man with Carolina. Uh, do you guys factor that kind of stuff in? And the only reason I bring it to Edmondson, because analytically he's the one that everyone seems to be, some people say, hey, he's a good defenseman. He actually can skate. He can do this. He's a big body who lay the hits. And then the analytic team rolls around and say, oh, he's the worst thing, the worst person Montreal could have got to help their defense. So, yeah, let's, right. get, in, let's get in Edmondson. <laughs> sure. All right. So, so uh, to your point about kind of adjusting for, for defensive schemes and stuff like that, uh, the answer is no. There, there really is kind of no way that, that numbers could possibly – do that with kind of the data that we have available to us. And I don't actually really know what kind of data 
could even be made available in the future to add that kind of coaching adjustment, which would obviously be really great to have. Uh, I mean, the, the thing about Edmondson, I mean, ho hopefully for the Habs, that, that is the case, and, and the defensive scheme played a really big part. Uh, I, I will say that his results for St. Louis, uh, I, I think I read the article that you're talking about. Uh, his raw results for St. Louis were, were pretty okay. Uh, but I think in large part they were because he was playing with, you know, Colton Pareko or, or, or Petrangelo or, or whoever it was. You know, he's always been kind of a guy who gets put on those kind of top pairings and, and, and those big situations. But, I mean, you know, again, if you kind of want to go off the analytics a bit, he is also generally a guy who kind of drags those pairings down a bit. And, and I, I feel like in the, the people who I've talked to who have watched him, uh, there's a guy on Twitter who's, who's definitely worth a follow. His name's Corey Schneider. And his, he's, he's in the analytics community, but his form of analytics is manual stat tracking. So what he does is he literally will watch like thousands of games a year and manually track things that go on in them. So it means that at the same time, he's, he's both a guy who is kind of analytically minded but also a guy who has watched like more games than I, I can promise like any eye test guy has just because like that's his job. Like that's what he does. And he, I, I asked him about Edmondson and his kind of big takeaway on Edmondson was that, you know, people kind of cast him as this kind of stay at home defensive defenseman. But, but in his mind from watching dozens and dozens of his games, the sense that he got of Edmondson was that he was actually a huge risk taker and especially in the offensive zone he like he loved to jump up in the play he loved to run in from his point and kind of go for that you know like all or nothing play and a lot of the time it would end up leaving kind of his partner Jacob Slavin dealing with an odd man rush the other way which isn't the sense that you would have gotten from Edmondson just based on the way that I think he's generally been talked about in terms of being a defensive defenseman and and kind of on your point of, you know, do the analytics really cover a defensive defenseman very well? I, I, I would argue they would. I, I think a, a huge portion of analytics, uh, especially when you kind of have the presence of buying to separate out offense from defense instead of just looking at kind of the full thing, is that guys who are, you know, maybe not so good offensively but really good defensively, like they do come out. Like your guys like Jonas Brodeen and Adam Pellick and, and – you know, all, all, you know, you go down the list of, of players who aren't super offensively gifted, but you can see the defensive impact in terms of, you know, they stop scoring chances from happening when they're on the ice. And, and that's what you really want from a defensive defenseman. And in the case of Edmondson, there really is kind of no point in his career where you can see him having the kind of defensive impact that you might think based on what you're hearing from kind of Habs fans or, or you know, I, I guess mostly Habs fans. Uh, where, where I think that maybe he's been kind of miscast in this kind of stay-at-home defenseman role where, where he might actually be kind of a little bit more ambitious and, and a little bit kind of unique compared to, to how he's being described. So, you know, it, it, if he was kind of a, a strong stay-at-home defensive defenseman uh, in terms of actually, you know, making his life easier or making life easier for goalies or adding kind of a big defensive presence on a, on a you know, more gutsy top pair, you know, generally speaking, it would show up in those stats. But, but the point that you make about the zone defense or man-to-man, -man, I mean, that's the kind of thing that the Habs are just going to find out. And uh, hopefully for them, that was a huge factor in Carolina because he was certainly worse there than he had previously been.
Yeah, and I, I was just and another, I guess another question I have on that: Does the analytics take uh, into consideration the type of like? Do they take into consideration that he was playing man to man in Carolina, or is that just something you have to add on to yourself along with the analytics? Like, kind of throw the eye test in there with the like Blaine had mentioned at the top of the show, uh, like analytics does it take into consideration coaching uh or different coaches new coaches uh different line mates uh um uh, like i know uh uh what's the one uh, x goals or xga yeah. or g uh, anyway does that take into consideration tips or you know pucks that go in on a uh, on a goalie off a skate or you know uh you know, stuff like yeah. that like that I, that's what interests me like you can sit there and put out raw numbers and say, for instance, analytically, the last two years, Carey Price hasn't been a very good goalie, if you look at the analytics on Carey Price. Um, but are they taking consideration tip goals, uh, goals off the defenseman's stick, uh, you know, goals yep. that should have been goals, goals off a broken stick, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like, that's, that's where you get into some discussion with analytics and say, well, the analytics say this. I'm like, okay, yeah, but when you watch Carey Price – you can tell he's one of the top goalies in the world. Uh, right. So, so I guess this is kind of a, I think a point of kind of communication breakdown between uh, analytics and, and people who aren't super analytically minded. And I, it's something that I've, that I've been kind of trying to kind of break down the kind of communication barriers between the two sides, because I think that what happens a lot of the time is a lot of people who are in, you know, analytics are, these kind of math and statistical geniuses who are kind of speaking in language that is not super clear. Uh, and, and then obviously your average eye test fan is just kind of a, a big hockey fan. And, and I definitely fall more into the second category than I do the first. So uh, in this case specifically, I, I don't use raw data. I, I only use kind of models that have been adjusted for things like teammates, like competition, like, uh, you know, the zone start on a shift, uh, whether your team's winning or losing, like these are things that have been shown to have impacts on on results. And so they have all kind of been been factor out of kind of any model that I'm using. Uh, in the case, like you said, with the, the man-to-man thing, that would be kind of context that you would add to your analysis that was that, you know, even if your analysis was based on the numbers, if you were doing a full kind of, you know, like going over the results, you would want to add that in. So so your your assessment could be, you know, Joel Edmondson is a, you know, let's say kind of bottom pair, generally caliber uh, player who has had pretty poor results at both ends of the ice, struggled mightily in Carolina where he kind of brought down every pairing that he was used on. Uh, but at the same time, uh, definitely part of that adjustment was playing a different defensive scheme and he might find better results somewhere else, you know. That would be kind of an example of, of an assessment that would still be kind of based on analytics and, and maybe even based more on analytics than, than you would like, but also manages to bring in that kind of extra context that can't necessarily be factored in by the analytics. And, and I think that's a good example of, of an area where you could even make a, a take that kind of leans on analytics, but still brings in that extra context in a way that it might be more valuable and, and more telling. See, Jack and Jason Paul are my favorite analytical guys because they there's so many people, analytics guys you talk to on Twitter or on social media that that are just analytics or analytics. This these are the numbers. Numbers don't lie. 
And you're like, yeah, but what are they factoring in? Like, I just, and I think that's what turns me off the whole analytical world is that there's a lot of them out there who are just like, well, these are the numbers. This is why this guy sucks because his XGA or XGF is terrible. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And then there's no, the argument's done. Like there's no talking about it, but you guys, and, and this is why I asked these questions about Joel Evans and that bring a guy like me, who's not a big analytical fan and think, Oh, okay. That I can work with that. That makes sense to me. You know what I mean? Like using it like that makes perfect sense to me. Cause I'm not against analytics. I just don't like the way some people try to use analytics and, uh, you know, like for instance, I seen one comparing Matthews to McKinnon and the girl said, let's compare Matthews to McKinnon first four years. And I'm like, well, why are you just using the first four years? And then when I actually research it, oh, because you're a Toronto fan and it was obviously in their bio, they're a Toronto fan. Matthews looks better than McKinnon over the first four years. So that's yeah, the, thing. The, the I mean, the thing is, you know, bad analysis doesn't discriminate. You can, you can, you can have bad and bad faith and misleading analysis from any area. I, the, the difference is, I guess, that that if you're coming at it from an analytical perspective, I think that there is maybe more authority and kind of less humility implied than if you're just, you know, saying in a tweet, you know, it, like if you're saying in a tweet, Joel Edmondson will be a top pairing defenseman next year. Uh, or if you have somebody posting a graph and saying, Joel Edmondson is one of the worst defensemen in the league. You know, I, one of those tweets has, I think, a little bit more kind of authority or, or, or credibility implied in it, which I think is, is a big breakdown. But, you know, the fact of the matter is that anything can be misused. Any stat can be presented in a misleading way. And, and one of the big things that I've tried to do uh, is, is kind of in, in writing uh, is, is kind of write these very long form, very explanatory uh, breakdowns of players that go into the stats, but then also kind of use game tape to explain what is going on with the stats and, and, and what's actually happening that's leading to the stats uh, and, and kind of context areas and, and areas of the game that a player could work on or maybe isn't being fully taken advantage of, uh, you know, and, and kind of try to bridge that gap. Because what I found in the process of doing stuff like that is that the overall analytics are generally on track uh, there are kind of a s small few cases where I've noticed things where that might be kind of throwing them off at the outliers, like at the edges. But, but overall, you know, when you kind of have the analytics in mind, it's very easy to connect the dots between what the analytics say and what's going on in the ice. And what's causing that divide might necessarily be something that can be fixed on or something that's caused by coaching or just bad line mate combinations or things like that. Uh, but, but I mean, usually those two chasms I've found can be, can be bridged pretty easily. And I think gives you a lot better sense of a player than you would get from, you know, just reputation or just a couple scattered viewings uh, or just looking at a graph. Now with that in mind, we, you mentioned the power play and the penalty kill. Um, we'll get into that here in a second, but I wanted to ask, is there, is there any one uh, an, statistical analysis that you've come across that you feel is just wholly inadequate or untrustworthy because you feel perhaps it doesn't apply to a specific player. It may fall under, you know, a, perhaps another player on the ice made an error and not the player being hit with that stat. Sure. I mean, I think that there's a reason that 
you like to have large sample sizes is because if you're going into short sample size, you're probably going to end up with a situation where players are getting dinged for things that weren't necessarily their fault. You know, a, a center for, or, or a winger, for example, might be dinged for uh, having, uh, you know, a, a bad defensive breakdown happen on the ice. And, you know, while the winger might have played some small role in the fact that the play was in his zone to begin with, you know, he was out of the point when, uh, you know, so-and-so missed his assignment in front of the net. Uh, in small sample sizes, that kind of thing can kill you. Uh, over the course of a full season, generally you'd have that, uh, you know, uh, I guess balance out. And, and in some cases you would get what I think are pretty valuable insights in terms of, you know, if you have a certain player who's having that happen a lot when he's on the ice, generally you can connect that to something that he's doing either inefficiently offensively or he's not getting the puck out effectively or he's turning it over. And that's when you can get into some really good insights. Uh, but I, I think one of the bigger things that I think can be a little misleading is when people do kind of lean on small samples or lean on, you know, short stints that, that a lot of luck has played in where all the pucks are going in, none of the pucks are going in, and, and they're making conclusions based on that. Now, I mentioned big mistakes and uh, causing problems for certain players before the power play because anyone who's watched the Canadians power play in the last couple of years realize it's all just one gigantic comedy of errors. It's gone from horribly historically bad to just plain terrible, which is an improvement, but still not much. So when you were building your statistical model for this uh, prediction, did you use the exact percentage or did you, uh, did you build a new one based on when you mentioned uh, drawing penalties? Did you, did you put that percentage on the expected number of penalties over the season? No, so so the, the special teams are definitely somewhere where it just is really impossible to to fully predict how a team's power play is going to do. Uh, the thing is, like I said, you know, small sample sizes are killer. Power plays are a small sample size because, like, the, the amount of time a team spends on the power play is a lot less than they spend at even strength. So if you're making an assessment of a player's power play performance, it's not going to be super telling just because that sample is so much smaller. So what I found when kind of looking at things and testing them out was that the the most kind of predictive thing was to just use the previous year's power play and, and, and penalty kill. Uh, and in this case, they're translated into a wins above replacement value as well. Uh, and, and then factor that into the model itself, which I kind of say in kind of the disclaimer underneath the projection punishes certain teams and benefits certain teams. So, so for instance, the Bruins, like you said, a little bit surprising that they come out at the top. I mean, they're still factoring in a power play that has players on it that aren't on the team anymore. And unfortunately, there's really nothing I can do about that but kind of asterisk it because otherwise I'd be kind of messing with things that, that aren't reliable in terms of sample size. Uh, with the Habs, I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you that a, a model that's using the Habs special teams results from last year is not going to be overly kind of the Habs. So if you think that the Habs power play will be massively improved this year whether it's you know they'll use Nick Suzuki on it more often or, or, or what have you then you can pretty much bank a couple extra points onto that house projection and that likely gets them into the playoff picture so you know this is really the kind of thing where like I said we're making educated guesses we're not locking anything in and uh, you can definitely see areas where you can project that changes in goaltending performance or changes in special teams might have a really big swing and, uh, and the special teams are definitely a big part of that.
Now, factoring all of that in, and if you uh, do, you have like a personal view on 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 the final outcome. For, for instance, you have your analytical view that you've posted. Would you adjust your points or placements based on your point of view for certain improvements or uh, degradations for certain teams? Basically, would you change it in any way? Oh, sure. I mean, hello. Oh, I think we lost him. I think I broke him. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's wondering, I'll I'll say what the he has. Jack has the Canadian division standings. So he has Toronto, Calgary. Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, Vancouver, and Ottawa. Um, All right, I'm I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> All right. He threw his uh, mic. He had to pick it up. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Um, okay. Uh, so I'm I'm just going to answer the the question you had about uh, would I change projections uh, myself. Uh, so yeah, I mean, anybody who tells you that you know any model maker who says that they wouldn't you know if they could put their thumb on the scale probably have different results you know they're probably being dishonest with you i mean there's there's plenty of areas where i think that my model was kind to certain teams based on factors that i don't think are going to replicate like you might notice that the arizona coyotes are pretty close to the playoffs if not in there uh and and the reason for that is they have two goalies who have been playing vesna caliber hockey for the past two years now with what we know about goalies it's pretty unlikely that that's going to happen again so I wouldn't necessarily be super confident to pencil in Arizona into a playoff spot or even kind of near the top of that division or near competing in it. Uh, I think that, you know, I mean, like I said, I would probably have the halves higher. I would probably have Winnipeg a lot further down than they are in this model based on how they played last year. Uh, The model I I can tell you kind of expects uh, Hellebuck to be not as good as he was last year, but still an elite goalie. Uh, it expects a lot of uh, players to have bounce back seasons in that uh, in that forward group, and it also expects uh, new additions like Stasny and, and Demello to have a really big impact. Uh, am I confident that a team that was one of the worst at five on five last year is going to be a like confirmed like not even in the wild card playoff team? Uh, no. Uh, am I confident that they're going to be better than Montreal? Definitely not. Uh, but I think that they're all going to be kind of in a battle royale going on that could lead to weird results either way and things like goaltending or special teams could play a, a decisive factor there i think uh, the yeah, important I was... thing i oh. think the important thing is that we all agree that the canucks are going to suck <laughs> yeah uh, sure uh, you know what I'll, I'll, I'll put that on the record why not are, are you talking about the calgary canucks or the vancouver canucks i i i, I think the calgary canucks are going to be fine i i think that a lot of people are kind of counting them out but I, I did kind of a deep dive into Johnny Gaudreau. That was kind of one of the big player breakdowns I did. And and the fact of the matter is that Gaudreau mostly got unlucky last year. Like he he should not be penciled in for another 65 point year. Like he, I think he'll be back to his normal self next year. And uh, factoring in, you know, Markstrom and, and hopefully having everybody healthy. I, I think that the Flames should be a good team. Vancouver, on the other hand, I uh, am not as confident about. I, I really just, everything about their depth I think the model kind of basically has 
every line and every pairing that isn't their uh, top line or top pair as kind of one of the worst in the league compared to like, you know, so like one of the worst second lines, one of the worst third lines, fourth lines, second pairs, third pairs. It has them ranked really low in all of those, but it loves their top line and it loves their top pair. So that kind of keeps them in the mix. But uh, yeah, you really don't want to put that much responsibility on a top line and top pair that's as young as the one that Canucks have. So just, just to throw it out here, uh, in your latest uh, plan here, you have Toronto, Calgary, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, Vancouver, Ottawa. Uh, yeah. That's your that's your analytically based on war Canadian division uh, thing. Yes. And, and mind you, Montreal is only nine points at a first. So really, and only three yeah. points out of a playoff spot. So it's not like it's – like I've seen some where they had Toronto with something like 87 points and Montreal with 52. And right. – uh, you know, Montreal finishing six in Toronto. I mean, someone actually tweeted that they thought Toronto may not lose a game all year. But anyway, uh, um, this does take into consideration the loser point, right? Yeah, and so that was kind of a, a, a big factor in is that, uh, generally speaking, the loser point is kind of a, a bit of a coin flip. And, and actually, it was something that I had – inadvertently left out of my first projection and somebody kind of pointed out to me that all my all my results were, were too low and so one of the reasons that all these teams are so condensed is because I have allotted the loser point evenly based on kind of the historical number of games to go to overtime so every team has the same number of overtime losses in this uh, in this projection uh, and so what that means is that the standings are more condensed than they would be in terms of numbers but the order is where it should be as well uh, and as it would be uh, if I had made a different assessment, so that shouldn't change. The the, the real difference is the uh, is is in the win totals. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it does mean that the numbers are a lot more condensed than they probably will be. All right, Blaine, what's your prediction? Where's your what's your order? I would put Calgary at the top personally. I think Calgary would be up there. Um, I I do agree that I think Montreal is going to be in a in a battle royale. They should come out with a playoff position, but we don't know. Injuries factor in, uh, performance. Fans are hoping that jo uh, Jonathan Drouin finally pulls his head out of his ass and has a full season where he's competitive. So that, could all uh, that all makes a big difference. So I don't see this predictive model being as out to lunch as some people were saying. I personally think it's not that far off. Like you mentioned, it's only a couple of points here and there and coaching and uh, travel, all these things are going to have a little bit of an impact. So being three or four points off here or there, I think that's a pretty close model yeah. personally. I, I'm personally, I'd flip Calgary, Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg. That's it. For a Yeah. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. It's, it's, I like that, that we don't have uh Edmonton or Vancouver here. Uh, I, I think those are two teams that are, you know, it, it, it's the superstars or it's nothing. Like that's that's kind of the vibe. I will say kind of on the Habs, there are a lot of like, like the Habs kind of more than a lot of teams have a lot of like huge X factors going on that would kind of swing things out of the way because there's a lot of question marks around them. And I think the number of question marks is kind of what's making me a little bit wary of all the Habs fans who are telling me, oh, they're, they're automatically going to be one. Like, they're going to be second. Did you see the additions they made? Uh, you know, th there's some X factors that could be good. I mean, I I've said before that 
I really liked uh, them getting Jake Allen because I thought that they've been playing Carey Price too much. And, uh, and the fact that they have an actual good and not Keith Kincaid or Antti Niemi backup to put in there, uh, I think is a, is a great move on their part, you know, regardless of how people were making fun of how much money they had locked in goaltending. I mean, you have Carey Price, like you have to maximize him. And I feel like having a good backup is the best way to do it. So it, we, I, I think we could see Carey Price play a lot better next year. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's factors like Kakaniemi obviously struggled a lot in the regular season in the minutes he played. You know, he was a really good as a rookie. He seemed to do pretty well in the playoffs. You know, hopefully he can slide in and be a contributor again. Uh, you know, and then there's kind of more questionable things. Or, you know, I'll, I'll put Tyler Toffoli in there, who kind of is, is one of those guys who's an analytical darling, just because he kind of plays similar to how Gallagher does in terms of if you look at the list of who takes the most shots at five on five, you're going to find Gallagher at the top. And then Toffoli is kind of nipping at his heels. Like he just gets pucks to the net constantly. They don't always go in, but, but it keeps his team in the offensive zone. And, and I think the Habs will appreciate that. And then on the other end, you kind of have these factors, which I'm not necessarily so sure about. Like, you know, I, I was really high on Max Domi. I don't know uh, uh, whether you guys were, were fans of him, but I, I saw him as kind of one of their best generators of offense I, I really liked what he did at center even though I will concede that he was not a good defensive player by any means uh, but he was kind of one of the few Habs who could be relied upon to really generate goals at even strength uh, outside of that top line you know I like Josh Anderson but obviously with everything that's happened who knows how he's really going to perform this year if he's going to be that kind of 25 goal guy or if he's going to struggle in a new situation and then, you know, on the defense, we already talked about Edmondson. Uh, I, I think I'd be interested to see how Sherratt does this year because I think his, his overall results last year were a lot better than they previously had been. You know, he was kind of above average across the board, which I think surprised a lot of analytical people uh, and, and kind of valid or vindicated a lot of Habs fans who – you know, we're saying, you know, this move is good. This move is going to be fine. And all the analytics people told them that it was going to be terrible. The one qualifier that I'll put on that is that I actually just recently did a study where I split results kind of in half uh, using the models that adjust for everything else. And what it basically, what the results of that were is that Sherat was like lights out, unbelievable in the first half and then really, really struggled in the second half. Uh, and and I, I didn't watch him enough in the regular season to make a judgment, but I, I really wasn't a huge fan of what I saw from him in the playoffs. And I'm kind of worried about the possibility that maybe Sherratt kind of snaps back to what he was in Winnipeg and, and how he played in the playoffs. And if they're playing him for 23 minutes a night, that uh, that could really be something that could hurt them. So, you know, there's just so many different wild factors going on for the Habs that, you know, we're talking about a couple points swing, deciding who's going to the playoffs and who's not, who's in second place and who's in sixth place in this case. You know, there's there's a lot to, to kind of chew on. And, you know, I guess like we say, that's why you watch the games. That's why these projection models aren't worth everything. Now, um, I guess I guess that's a good spot to, uh, to leave it because we pretty much covered it. And um, I think, I think Habs fans, if they were being honest and listening, they would they would realize that, yeah, those X factors are a big deal. And yes, analytics 
create a model, but it, it's a conversation starter. And, and I think you've explained yeah. it pretty well. I mean, even Treg is starting to understand. I mean, look at him. You can, you can see the light behind his eyes. He's, he's, he's waking up. It's early in the morning, but. Seven. Oh. <laughs> so um, can you, can that's, you let our listeners know? Yeah. <laughs> can, can you give our listeners an idea of where they can go to find some of your work and maybe not try to chirp you over dumb stuff? So if, if you're just kind of looking for pure analytic stuff, like if you already have your, your mind made on, on iTest stuff, but you want to add that analytical uh, element, I, I do make kind of data visualizations that, that I hope kind of get across that analytical nuts and bolts pretty clearly in terms of, you know, numbers are adjusted and they compare players to other players in the league instead of just giving you a raw number and expecting you to run for it. Uh, so I, those data visualizations, I post them a lot on Twitter, at JFreshHockey, but also uh, all of them for every team are available on my Patreon, uh, as well as you can kind of play with the roster builder uh, that, that was kind of the basis for these projections. Uh, and then if you were more interested in kind of the mixture of analytics and eye test stuff, uh, I have a blog, substack.com slash JFresh, where you can read uh, – those kinds of deep dive breakdowns uh, and actually next week i'm going to be dropping a compilation of all of those uh, i think it's, it's maybe 16 or so of those player breakdowns uh, and it's actually i'm going to put it on sale for uh for five dollars or up and uh, all of the proceeds are going to be going to phoenix house here in halifax so if uh, if if that's something that you might be interested in uh definitely hopefully check that out uh that should be out uh next monday is what i'm targeting well, if you tagged uh, tagged the show in that, we will share the heck out of it as much as we can because Phoenix House is an, an excellent cause to, uh, to help out. All right, I'll be sure to do it. Uh, Jack, thank you very much for coming on the show. We really appreciated your time and uh, t speaking slowly and clearly so that we can both understand. Edmondson's going to win the Norris Trophy. <laughs> no, he's not. He's not. Hey, maybe he really, really likes man-to-man -man or, or zone defense. I guess we'll find out. That's how long his stick is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. Thanks a lot, Jack. Appreciate this. Yeah, thanks. Have a good one, fellas. Yep. You too. Thanks, Jack. Do you have a moose near the caboose that needs to be tamed? I'm talking hairy, big, and needs some support. Thankfully, our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision engineering tools for your family jewels. Baluga! Did you hear that? That's your moose asking for Manscaped. Manscaped engineering team just perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, the Lawnmower 3.0. The premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toning Spray, both super practical and they smell great too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag, and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of my favorite parts of this collection. 
The Manscaped Boxer Briefs have optimal temperature control with their crop cooling technology while keeping your pride and joy supported. The waistband is also super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. Plus, when your girl sees this logo, she knows she's got a real Manscaped man. Pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver and you're ready for anything. You need to try this out for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code UNFILTERED20 at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And that concludes another episode of Habs Unfiltered. We would like to thank all our listeners, old and new, for joining us. We hope you were informed and entertained. And always remember, if you are talking about it, so are we. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.